pray together before we're seated, okay? God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we can stand firm on him as our cornerstone, that he is our anchor. We can know today that no matter what's going on in, in our personal lives or in the world, that we can trust you. We can stand on you with the shoes of the gospel of good news, stand firm, and that nothing can knock us off. Just thank you, and we just, re we just rest in you now. We thank you for the truth of that song, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful, and uh, thanks so much for being here today. How many of you already got your t-shirts, right? Yeah, many of you already did that, and so now you are walking billboards, okay? Uh, be the hope. Be the hope. And so I'm just so excited about this and be able to do this as we moved into our 25th anniversary. This is our theme for the entire year, though, just so you know, is Be the Hope. And we'll be talking about hope all year long uh, in different areas. In fact, the series that we'll start uh, after Easter will be uh, called Unleashing Hope. And so Hope Unleashed is what it'll be called. And we'll be going there. And then uh, as you're going to read in your program today, there's information about the next series. It's called Flourish, and that's leading us to hope. Uh, the hope that God has, and so we're going to be there all year. So if you would, just go ahead and grab your Bible uh, and look inside. You can find, um, just if you would, let's see, where are we going to be today? We're going to be all over the Bible today. Just want you to know. So it'll be a little bit harder today. Typically, we just stay in one passage, but today we're going to go all over it. I just want to let you know, though, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. And so there's some bookshelves right out there outside those doors, and just grab one. It's a Bible. It's yours. It's our gift today. Grab your message notes, though. All the verses I'm going to use will be here today, and you can follow along and write some notes down, and you're going to go, wow, you put the whole Bible on this. Uh, and it looks like that, uh, but it's not, and, but it's going to be you know, very relevant to what we're talking about today because here's the deal. As we approach our 25th anniversary, we've been talking about this, and in preparation for another season of doing life uh, here in western Nevada County, we've been looking in this you know, January, February, about how our church works, how Twin Cities Church works. Uh, what is it that gives Twin Cities Church life, and what is it that propels us forward and keeps us going and keeps us moving, gives us energy? We've said that as a church... We fiercely hold to the truth that Jesus is the hope of the world. So we're not confused about this at all when we say be the hope, that we think that we have within us something that will be the hope of the world. But we believe firmly that Jesus is the hope of the world. As we talked about in this series, that we are his representatives. And as we go out, we are the hope as we take him to the world. Right before he was to go to heaven, Jesus brought was talking to his followers uh, and uh, he gave them his marching orders, and we've talked about that in the series. And he basically said, you know, hey, guys, gals, here's the deal. I've been given all authority on earth. He just kind of made it real clear. Hey, I have all authority, all, all. So as my followers, and this is who he was talking to, and this is my followers, what I want you to do is I want you to go into all the world, every inch, every continent, every island, every place in the world, and I want you to make disciples. And a disciple is someone who's placed their hope in me, is what he would say. Someone who's placed their hope in Jesus. And here's what you do. When someone says that they're a disciple, or maybe even in the process of becoming, baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. And as they're baptized, they're identifying with me, that they're my follower, and with my kingdom's purposes. They're saying that Jesus would say that I am, that Jesus is their Savior is what they're saying. His death on the cross set them free from the penalty of sin, and now they're looking to Jesus to be the Lord, the leader, the one who calls the shots in their lives. That's what baptism signifies. And he goes on to say, but you're not just to make disciples. You're to train disciples by teaching them everything I've taught you. Everything I've taught you. You're to help them to know me and my teachings, and you're to encourage them to continually search to make sure in their hearts that they're following me. And so it's our task as a church to make disciples who then make disciples. It's our task as a church to make disciples who then, as Colossians 2 says, go deep in Jesus. So that as we are with Jesus, as we are changed and transformed by him, we become so different from culture, we stand out in culture, and culture says, wow, I want to know what you have. I want to know what makes you different. And then he wraps this whole thing up. He wraps the whole thing up, and he says, remember, I'm the one who has all authority, and I will be with you always. You can always count on the fact that I am there. Intimacy with Jesus. I'm there with you. In our process of making disciples, as we've talked about it, Mark read it just a few moments ago, and actually, he was reading it correctly. It was incorrect on the slide, so Mark, you're, you're good to go there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> is this, we are engaging together to lead as many people as possible into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we talked about this in the series. The first thing is we want to help us all to come to a place where we belong to God's family, where we make that connection to Jesus and become part of his family and to become part of his family, the church. We want to help us all to be able to become more like Jesus, more like God's son. We want to help us all to bless God's world. We would do that through sharing our treasures and our time and our talents to help others. You want to help us all to be able to build God's kingdom so that we can be people who are not just coming here to get our needs met, keeping it in these four walls, but we realize that God wants to take it to the world. He wants us to take it outside in all we do. And last week we talked about we want to help people believe God's word and have confidence in it and act on it. Have confidence in it and act on it. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to come and we're going to say, so what, Ron? So what? Why are we doing all of this? Why do we do it? And the answer is, so that Twin Cities will be a big church. You think that's the answer? No. I tell you, it's never been our goal, ever. I'm thinking back uh, when I've been talking to a lot of some of the original founders and uh, we've been doing some reminiscing, and uh, we're actually going to show some video next week of some of the original founders and their thoughts. Uh, you know, we didn't ever dream that this would be what God did. Uh, in fact, you know, I would just say this. If I had a numerical goal for where I'm comfortable and where I feel competent to lead our church, it would be somewhere around 500 people, somewhere around 500. And that would have been when we were still at Goldwyn Elementary School <laughs> and that we had never moved beyond there. See, that would have given me, you know, just enough, honestly, to have, I have a sense of accomplishment, like, yeah, look at what God did, and that where I felt I was confident to lead from a place of comfort. 
but numbers are not the goal. So what is the goal? What is the goal? The so what is that in everything we do, we would bring God glory. In everything we do, we would bring him glory that people's attention would go to him and they would see him in all of his glory. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you bring the one who has all glory, glory? How does that work? Well, you give glory to him when you live a life that draws attention to him as you honor, as you praise, and as you worship him. And that's what I want to focus on today. We're just going to focus for just a few minutes today, three ideas of all the ideas in the Bible. It was really difficult to narrow it down today as to how do we bring God's glory. And we're going to look at it, but look at this verse from Romans 11 at the top of your notes. It's just one of the examples talking about bringing God glory. It says, for from him, so let's acknowledge it, everything comes from him, and through him, everything's done through him, and to him, it's all done for him, to him be the glory forever. To him be the glory forever. Uh, the Westminster Catechism there, it says this, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so I'd say this, as we glorify God, we enjoy him, right? We just enjoy him because we're with him and we get to know him, we get to experience him. So three ways, okay? First is this, I bring God glory through complete devotion, through complete devotion. Not partial, but complete devotion to him. When we talk about complete devotion, we're talking about a life of worship, life of worship where I do what David says to the people of God in 1 Corinthians 16, says this, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. So give him the glory he deserves for who he is and what he's done. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. So last week we talked a lot about this, and so I'm not going to go into depth right now. Uh, and so I ended my talk last week about all the ways that we bring God glory by praising him. So if you weren't here last week, or even if you were, you might want to go back out and watch that. Just as a reminder of all the ways in our lives that I just listed last week that we can bring him glory. But we're just talking about worship here. And the way that we've defined worship at Twin Cities for quite some time now is this. Worship is my passionate response to all that God is with all that I am. It's my passionate, and I said it's with passion, passionate response to all that he is. So I need to continually know him better and better and better with all that I have. I'm giving it all to him. This idea of complete devotion is so important that when Jesus was asked, hey, boil the commandments down, Jesus, tell us, what is it we should do? He gave them the, most, the bottom line. He said this in Mark 12. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's passionately loving God for all he is with all that I am. And then he says the second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment. That's complete devotion. It's giving God everything I am, every day of my life, Everywhere I go. That's what I do in order to be able to worship. Paul sums it up this way. He says, so whether you eat or drink, so it's just you know, talking about common things here, common things that we do in life, or whatever you do, 
do it all for the glory of God. You want to ask yourself, in this past week, if I were to just play back the video of my life in the last week, would it be true of me that everything I did was for the glory of God? And I know some of you are going, be reasonable, Ron. <laughs> we have to work for a living. We have kids. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Everything for the glory of God. But he asks for complete devotion, and we do that. It gives him glory. Okay, second idea is this. I bring glory to God through corporate unity, okay? I'm just going to call it corporate unity. And this would be, you know, we have corporate worship, and that's when we all come and worship together and sing and experience teaching. But we also have corporate unity. So this would be the unity that runs through our body, runs through our uh, organism. It's who we are, corporate unity. So basically, it's this. When we get along together, God is glorified. And I just know, I don't know if you know this, but one of the reasons that people don't go to church is because they look inside at the people who go there, and they don't get along. And they fight, and they bicker, and they argue, and it's all about preference. It's all about whose needs get met, when, and where. And so they're like, I don't want to be part of that. And they turn away. But I'll just say this, folks. A unified church brings glory to God, and all this ad attracts people. It attracts people because we look, at our, look how divisive our world is right now. Look how divisive it is. Unity is attractive, and it draws people to God and his church. Romans, Paul, Romans says in, Paul says in Romans 15, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony, in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and what? Glory to God. How? Because we are unified giving glory to God through our unity, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accept you? Just as I am. Just as I am. We have to accept each other just as we are now without expecting anyone to be any different than they are when they walk in the doors and come to this place. So that, notice it says, God will be given glory by doing that. So because I, I, never take, I never take for granted the unity we have as a church. Never take that for granted. It's a God-given, hard-fought reality that we have as a church family. Where unity comes before preference. Where unity overlooks relationship pinches and relational conflict. Where we're committed ruthlessly committed to rooting out conflict, gossip, and everything that would lead to disunity. That's who our church is. And what happens is when we have unity, the Holy Spirit is free to roam and free to move in his church and the life of his family when they live with unity. When we've learned to honor each other by giving each other the benefit of the doubt, offering forgiveness, honoring each other and accepting each other. See, Jesus said it this way on the back of your notes, I believe. He said it this way. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, this seems to be a no-brainer, right? 
It really does. You read these words like, okay, Jesus, we got this. This is just a no-brainer that we would do this. To love those who love you. That should be easy, right? Right. (laughs) It sounds good. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered it's a lot easier to say we love others than to actually love them, right? To say we do it than to love them. But God says, accept each other. And when you do that, I will be glorified. I will be glorified. Okay, the third idea today is this. We bring glory to God through our combined impact. Through our combined impact. As we all work together. When we engage together to be his hands and feet in this world. See, one of the chief metaphors in the Bible of the church is that the church is the body. The church is the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of Christ in this world. That's the church. We are the body of Christ. Well, an implication of this is just as Jesus left heaven and he was born and he became physically visible, he came to a particular place and a specific time, just as he became fully human, that so also as the church, followers of Jesus Christ, We are also born, reborn, into a certain place in a certain time. We are the visible representations, the physical human representations of Jesus in this world. We're called to be visible, and we're called to influence the world. In Matthew 5, I've referred to these verses every week in the series, so I thought I would might as well refer to them again today. But in Matthew 5, Jesus (coughs) is giving his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about his, to his followers. Now, you know, he's talking to people mostly. There's a crowd, but he's actually speaking to those who are following him at this point. And he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, and then what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Folks, I'll just say it this way. What Jesus is saying here is that the church is what the world needs. Jesus is saying the church is what the world needs. And as we do our part as physical bodily representations of Jesus on this planet, as we do our part, that what Jesus says, first, we're salt. And salt has two purposes. One, that it you know, keeps things from going bad and the other, you know, spoiling. And the other thing is it preserves. And the other thing is that it gives taste. It gives taste. That's what salt does. See, I'll just say it this way. You are the flavoring the world needs. You are the flavoring. A world desperate for the next flavor of the month to whet its appetite. In that kind of desperation, you are the flavoring of the world, the flavoring of the earth. You are called to be light as well. That assumption is is the world is dark, right? The assumption there is the world is dark. And he's saying, no, you are the ones who are coming and you're going to bring the light of my truth, the light of my presence into the world. And the key here is this. 
is that this is a together thing. So it's not you singular, like, okay, that's Ron's job to be the salt, Ron's job to be the light, but it's really the way that they say it in the South, y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth, and y'all are the light of the world, okay? That's what he's saying. It's through our combined efforts that we actually able to bring flavor and seasoning and light into the world. Look at this verse from 1 Peter 4. It says, do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. <clears throat> then everything you do will bring glory to God. Notice this. Everything you do will be glory to God as you're working together. All glory and power to him forever and ever. So if you've been to a movie in the last month or so, the Academy Awards are today, right? So, you know, tonight we're going to be having an Academy Awards party at my house with my little family. You're not invited because <laughs> I'm going to be in my jammies <clears throat> as we do this. So we're going to be doing this. But if you've been to a movie in the past month or so, you've probably seen a preview for a movie called Dunkirk. You've seen those previews? Anybody done that yet? Seen those? This movie is based upon true events from war, World War II of a miraculous rescue of 330,000 Allied troops. Miraculous rescue from the beaches of Dunkirk, France. I've been loved doing research on this this week. It's just so cool. It happened on May 26, 1940. The German forces have invaded and they're pushing across France, pushing across Europe, and they push the Allied forces to the beach, the beach of Dunkirk. And the Germans have them isolated, and the Germans are closing in. And the Allied troops needed someone to rescue them. Well, Winston Churchill fears that this will be the greatest military defeat in history. And the question was, how can we free 330,000 soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk, France? See, Britain had many warships. But the problem with warships is that they are big. And the, the, the way that the beach at Dunkirk worked is that the water went out, but the sand went out as well. And so it was shallow for a long ways out. And the warships couldn't get there to rescue the troops. Eventually, an idea was generated from the British Ministry of Shipping. <clears throat> they said that if everyone... This is just crazy, insane. They didn't have texting. They didn't have Facebook, social media, Instagram. They didn't have any of this. None of this. This is insane. They said, if everyone on the River Thames, and how did they get to, I don't know how they did this exactly, who has a small boat would just engage that these small boats could make it to the beach when the warships couldn't get there, and we will engage to rescue as many of the 330,000 men and women from the beach as we can. The plan was to gather together, cross the English Channel, and head to Dunkirk Beach in France to do this rescue. So I'm just going to show you a picture here. This is a painting of what happened. The painting of what happened on that day. See, they believed that the small boats that were there, you see them coming in, to, they're rescuing the soldiers, that they could go through these shallow waters, and then they could carry the troops in out to the warships so that they could actually be saved. I couldn't get an exact number, but from what I saw, there was anywhere between seven and 800 boats who took the call said, I'll bring my boat. And the smallest boat was a 15-foot boat. And it's actually in the um, Imperial War Museum. A 15-foot boat. 
back and forth, hauling soldiers. Let's look at the next picture. You can see what it looked like. This is an actual photo. As they would go into shore, and they would haul them back out, uh, and does that make a difference? It made a difference in the lives of 330,000 people, the combined efforts of people who were willing to give themselves and answer the call to rescue. Now, there's a whole story here. It's just fascinating when you read into this, how they thought they would only have one day to do this because the Germans were pressing in. And for some reason, the Germans kind of looked at the terrain and said, you know, we're going to just take a little vacation for a few days and didn't pursue and didn't push. And they had until, I think it was June 8th or something, all the way to June, they were just taking soldiers, all of them rescued uh, from the beach on that day. It was just amazing. See, the greatest rescue operation of all time was the rescue of 330,000 soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk. But the greatest rescue mission of all time, spiritually speaking, was when Jesus Christ went to a cross on our behalf. And he died on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of all mankind so that everyone could be rescued. And then Jesus comes to us and he says, I want to commission you. We need you. We need your boat. We need your skill. We need your gift. We need your treasure. We need your time. We need your talents. We need you. We need you. And all of our combined efforts together, we can't do it alone. Not one of us can do this alone. But when we combine our efforts and we engage as Jesus has called us to engage in the Great Commission, it can be done. We can be the ones who rescue our friends, our family members, the ones in our community, and the world when we choose to say yes to Jesus. Our combined efforts matter, and we're going to engage with you. And Jesus says, join me. Join me and everyone working on my behalf. And with our combined efforts, we'll make a difference in not just thousands, but possibly millions and now billions of people as we engage together. And then notice what this verse from 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this and he says, all of this is for your benefit. And he goes on to say this, as God's grace reaches more and more people as we engage with our combined efforts, reach more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive what? More and more glory. More and more glory as we engage in him. So how, as a church, are we going to bring God glory where we are going to follow the Great Commission? We're going to be engaged with him. We're going to help people have a place where they can belong and they can become and they can bless and they can build and know how to do that and they can have a way that they can express themselves. They can grow so they can believe God, trust him, and step out in confidence on his word all the while. Not so that Twin Cities can be a great church, but so that God will get all the glory. All the glory. And that's what we're all about. And it's because of what Jesus has done for us. And I just want to end today, but as we're moving into communion, I want to read this verse from 1 Peter for you. And just want you to just kind of listen uh, just a moment as Peter's writing. And, you know, Peter's writing to people who are in distress, dispersed to the church. And he says this. He says, first of all, you are a chosen people. And, you know, when he says you're chosen people, that doesn't mean you're choice people. You know, in our world today, everyone gets the trophy, right? 
the participation trophy. He's not saying you're choice people. He's saying you're chosen people, which means by grace you were picked. And he says this, you're a royal priest, holy nation, God's very own possession. And what he's saying there is that you are God's treasure. In Christ, you are God's treasure. And then he says this, as a result of being chosen, being God's treasure, you can show others the goodness of God, the glory of God. Point others to him. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Basically, and now he is the light, has called you to be the light. He doesn't give you light just to light your way, but he gives you light so that you will reflect his light to the world. And he goes on and says this. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received mercy. I want to just talk just a little bit about what... You know, if you notice those are in quotes, that last section. And it's, you look below, there's Hosea 2.23. What the heck does Peter mean? What's he drawing attention to? Well, if you were living in that time, you would, uh, because these are Jews in, that have been dispersed, you would know that at this moment, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament. And because you immersed yourself in Old Testament teaching, you would actually recognize this as a promise that was given in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Now, the story of Hosea is that he was a prophet and that he married a woman named Gomer. And Gomer started having affairs and, uh, on him and uh, with other, obviously, men. And she had other children that weren't his. And, uh, and he still stayed married to her. Finally, she left with one of the men and, uh, who abused her and sold her into slavery. And God comes to Hosea, and he says to Hosea, I want you to go, and I want you to buy Gomer out of slavery and take her again as your wife. And then what God says then to Hosea is this, just to kind of draw the whole thing to a close. He says to him, at that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved. So those who have been separated from him. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, what is this? You are my God. You are my God. And I want to bring you glory. And what God is saying here, the promise to Hosea that Peter brings to us, he's saying that there's someday, someday I'm going to do this. And the someday was when he sent Jesus Christ to be the redemption to pay the penalty for sin so that God could draw the people that he had called as not loved. He called the people that were separated from him, called them to himself so they could come and know him and be redeemed simply because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He was pointing to the cross and he was pointing to our redemption. And I'll just say this, folks. If we forget this, we cannot sustain life as followers of Jesus. And I believe it's why Jesus said that we need to have communion on a regular basis. Because if we forget this, we cannot sustain life because we'll end up doing it on our own power. But we need to be brought back and back again to the cross and what he did so that I who was not loved, I was who not a person, a people, I am now loved and I am a people of God, a person of God in his family. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask our ushers to move into place so they can serve us communion. And with that, just kind of to whet our appetite, we're going to just have a moment to focus. I'm going to lead us in a prayer first.
ushers would move into place, that'd be wonderful. Well, God, I thank you that for my life, that there was a church that combined their efforts and they made sure there was a place I could go. They made sure there was teaching that I could listen to. They made sure there was singing that I could sing with. They made sure there were people I could connect together with. They made sure that there were people there that were on mission. So that at a point when Ron Thompson knew he came to the end of himself, that he would say yes to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just thank you so much for this church. And I thank you for the people here. I thank you for Jesus, that we can know redemption in him. We can know life in him. And if there's someone in the room, you've never said yes to Jesus. You just heard the plan. You just heard what God did. If you just want to say, Jesus, yes. Yes, Jesus. I want to receive what you did on the cross for me. I want to know the love of the Father. And I want to be able to belong in your family. I thank you, God. So I'm going to ask the ushers now to service, and if they would do that, and if you would just take a piece of the bread and the cup, I'm going to ask we all hold it, and just like in our family, we all wait till we're all at the table to eat, and so we just hold it and we wait uh, for a moment, listen to some beautiful music, you can focus on some verses on the screen here, just to help us to engage and think about what we just talked about, what Jesus has done, listen to him, and then we'll have communion together in just a moment.
love the way that the Bible records that the Last Supper happened when and Jesus looked at his followers and, and he knew he was going to go to the cross for them. And it was his last time to really be together before all heck broke loose. And, and he said to them, he says, I really long to be here with you. And every time we have communion, I think about the presence of Jesus with me and the intimacy with Jesus that he wants me to experience right now. This is not just a ritual. Uh, these are not just acts that we do. These are meant to draw us to him, to remind us how deeply we're loved. So as we eat this bread in a moment, this bread was, Jesus said, was broken on our behalf, and it represents how his body was broken and the penalty that he took for our sins. So let's eat this and remember him. And Jesus took some juice and he also said to them, he said, this, this represents my blood that will be shed for you to seal the, the covenant that God is making with you for the removal of sins, redemption of mankind. He says, eat this or drink this and remember me. As we're drawn to him, what we realize is, is that when he gives a great commission, the call to engage with him, that he's not a tyrannical leader. He's not a forceful general. He's the real commander in chief. And he comes to us and he says that I want you, because you know my love, to engage with me. And that's what we've been trying to do now for 25 years as a church, is to engage with Jesus and what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. As we come today as this last day before we have an anniversary next week, it's just my prayer that each of us would just say, I'm in. I'm in on this. Through our combined efforts, we can be part of the greatest rescue mission of all time as we work together with him. God, I thank you so much for that promise. I thank you so much for that challenge. And I pray now that as we wrap up this season, we wrap up what we've been doing now, that we look forward to the future, that we do it with faith and confidence in what you want to do in us and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.